From pretty early on, one of Google's company values was don't be evil. It proved to be a pretty popular company value. It was often commented on and talked about in the media. And when they changed the wording, uh, which was around 2015, they changed some of their company values, their company mottos, they got some pushback on changing this particular one. Uh, Don't be evil isn't a bad thing to aim for. Though it's setting the bar pretty low, isn't it? What does it mean? Uh, Don't commit genocide. The bar's pretty low. But even then, some would argue whether or not Google's been able to make it. Followers of Jesus aren't just called to not be evil. Uh, But have a look at Galatians 6.10. So find it in your Bible there, Galatians 6.10. God calls his people to do good, do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Uh, This term we've been listening to God speak through Galatians. Galatians is a letter written to some Christians, which is all about the freedom Jesus brings. And what we're looking at today expands on a sentence from chapter 5. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And we've been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks. What is true freedom? Well, there's no freedom in being selfish. There's no, it's not freedom to be caught in the trap of selfishness and sin. True freedom is to be loved and to love. The freedom Jesus gives is the freedom to do good to all, especially the family of believers. And today we're going to see two ways Christians are called to do good. Uh, The first is doing good to someone who's caught in sin. Uh, The second is doing good to those who teach. And then we're going to think about kind of generally what does this doing good, uh, how does it actually work out? So first, uh, doing good to someone who's caught in sin. Uh, Last week, we dug deep into how the freedom Jesus gives is freedom to be changed. We are free to be changed, uh, to be changed by crucifying the sinful nature, which Paul calls the flesh, so putting sin to death, and then living or walking by the Spirit. And I said last week that one of the resources God's given to change us is each other, the church. This is what we see today in chapter 6. So we're finishing up really that idea we started last week. How does God change us? One of the ways is through each other. When we are caught in sin, our brothers and sisters, our other believers from our church, are called to help free us from sin's trap. So verse 1, have a look in your Bibles, chapters, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, Galatians 6, 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each one's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, The picture here is someone who's caught, uh, trapped by sin. They've been baited by temptation, and then, snap, you're caught. Uh, Sin is a trap. There are sometimes some sins that seem to stick around, and we feel we're trapped, we can't escape. Other times it's something you've never even thought about before, never even considered, but then out of the blue, you're caught. 
Uh, now, if your pet got caught in a trap, maybe your dog got caught in a rabbit trap, what would you do? You'd help them out, wouldn't you? You'd do whatever you could to help them get free. And that would be the good thing, the right thing to do. It's the same with seeing someone caught or trapped in sin. Maybe you hear a Christian brother gossiping or a Christian sister lashing out in anger. They're caught in sin. What's the good thing to do? The good thing to do, what it means to do good to all, especially the family of believers, is to help them get free. And who should be doing this? Who should be helping? Well, verse 1 says, you who live by the Spirit. That's a good translation. Others say, you who are spiritual, which is a very literal translation, but it makes it sound like this is only a job for the super-Christian, the elite. You who live by the Spirit, well, that's just all believers. That's, that's anyone who trusts in Jesus and has received his Spirit. And we miss this in English, but the you is plural. So the picture is, this might be something the whole church gets involved in. Though it might be a bit intense if the whole church showed up to help someone trapped in sin, so it might be wiser for a couple of members or or an elder and a member to get involved. So someone's caught in sin, a, a church or part of the church, know they need help. What are they to do? Verse 1 says... They should restore that person gently. It's a picture of nursing someone back to spiritual health. But we're not very good at this. Now, if you see someone who's collapsed because they've got a broken leg, the wrong thing to do would be to go over and poke them where they're in pain. Another wrong thing to do would be to ignore them and let them look after themselves. You wouldn't do that. But when it comes to spiritual injuries, when someone's trapped or caught in sin, we either go in and give them a kick, we judge them and make things worse, or we ignore the problem. It's just too awkward to get involved. You wouldn't do that to someone who needs physical help. Why do we do it when they need spiritual help? But how do we gently restore Sometimes we'll need to have a conversation to help the person see their sin for what it is. They may not recognise their behaviour is sinful or selfish. Or they may, you might discover, that they actually know this, but they feel powerless to change. But once they've recognised sin for what it is, you help by telling them the good news of Jesus, telling them of God's forgiveness for all who come to Jesus, encourage them with what Jesus has done. Encourage them with who they are in Christ, that they're someone who is filled with Jesus' spirit. And by the spirit, they're transformed so they can walk in him. Maybe you could help them with practical suggestions. How to recognize temptation as it germinates. How to flee a tempting situation. wonder if there's ever been a time when someone's done that for you. I can. I've given in to the temptation of wandering eyes, of looking at porn. I'm really glad for the Christians who've taken this seriously and helped. 
This includes some Christian brothers who've met with me regularly and asked hard questions. It includes the theological college I went to. At Moore College, they offered to pay for accountability software, software that tracks what you do online and sends a report each week to a trusted friend of anything inappropriate. And the college offered to provide this for everyone because they wanted to create a Galatians 6 culture. When someone caught in sin would have someone to gently restore them. Have you had a good experience of being gently restored? A part of our vision as a church is to be a community where we love one another. And this is part of that. And so one of the things I reckon we might do next year in our midweek groups, in term two I'm currently thinking, is we're going to do a course called Caring for One Another. It's eight weeks developing skills, habits and character so we can be a church that loves one another better. It's loving to gently restore someone caught in sin. We have to wait till chapter, was it week, uh, term two before we get to that. But we need to realize that in doing this, in helping people caught in sin, there's a risk. And the risk gets mentioned straight up in verse one. As you go to gently restore someone, watch yourselves that you're not tempted. Now, this might mean being tempted to join them in their sin, but the bigger temptation is pride and judgmentalism. When we're helping someone in need, it's easy to forget we're needy too. We're also sinners wholly dependent on God's grace in Jesus. Have a listen from verse 3. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. On one level, these verses are straightforward. Don't be arrogant. Don't be judgmental. The only way you can gently restore someone is if you're aware of your own neediness. If you know yourself as a sinner who has received grace in Jesus. If you know you're a saint, learning to keep in step with the Spirit. Though, upon closer inspection, it sounds like there are some contradictions in these verses. In verse 5 it says, to carry your own load. But in verse 2, we carry each other's burdens. Which is it? Uh, and in verse 4, we boast in ourselves. But if you jump down to verse 14, Paul only boasts in Christ. Which is it? Well, with the boasting, both verses are actually talking about boasting in Christ. Having confidence not in ourselves or in the goodness that comes from our own flesh, our own nature, but recognising that when we do good, it's from the Spirit. It's keeping in step with the Spirit. It's living out Christ living within me. And the different loads, well, one of our temptations when we are looking at our, is, is when we look at our own progress in Christian maturity, when we think about how God has been growing us, the temptation is to look to others and go, well, at least not as bad as you. 
But we're to bear our own load. We're to look to the life of Jesus. He is our example of godliness. You don't look at others and go, look, at least I'm not as bad as you. Look to Jesus and realise you haven't made it yet. We haven't made it yet. And this is why we, we depend on Christ crucified and risen for us. Because there's no way, looking to Jesus and his example, there's no way we can meet his example of holiness. He is the model, but we fall short. Which is why we need his death in our place, so by the Spirit we can live his newness of life. So that's the risk. You're helping someone caught in sin, but falling into our own sin of pride and judgmentalism. We've got to be aware of the risk, but the risk doesn't stop us from helping. We are needy and we are needed. We are called to bear each other's burdens in love, which is the first way we're called to do good to all. The second way we're to do good is by doing good by sharing with teachers. Verse 6, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Uh, I've got to admit, it's a bit awkward for me to speak about this verse because it can feel a bit self-serving. This is one of the good things about teaching through books of the Bible. We come across things that it's a bit awkward to talk about sometimes and would be otherwise easier to ignore. It uh, talks about sharing in all good things, doesn't it? And the all is deliberately broad. Yes, it's referring to physical or financial support of elders who teach or ministers, but it's broader than that. Share by praying and encouraging those who teach God's word. Share what God's been doing in your life, how what you've been taught is bearing fruit in your life. But this verse does raise the topic of money, so I'm just going to briefly talk about money. I'm really glad we're part of a denomination where there is clarity and transparency around stipends. Uh, Churches often fall off the horse in uh, one of two ways about this. Some churches could, but don't properly support their ministers. Other ministers get rich off their followers. In our denomination, the stipend, the amount of money ministers are given uh, to live on, is set by an independent commission. Uh, No ministers are allowed to sit on that commission. Though a minister's wife is to be part of the process, and at the moment Anita is doing that for our denomination... It's also got representatives from city churches and country churches, big and small churches, as well as people uh, from our churches with knowledge of accounting and things like that. And I think what this group comes up with, it's a very hard job that they do, uh, but they, they come up with a fair process for working out stipends. And so I want to say thanks, not just to them, but to the members of our church for your sharing in all good things. All right, so we've been thinking about keeping in step with the Spirit, living out our freedom to serve each other in love, doing good to all, particularly doing good to the brother or sister caught in sin and doing good to those who teach. And these are two examples of doing good to all. We could think of many more. But these two examples are given because they help us build character, build the habits of doing good to all. Here are two examples. If you become the kind of person who does good in those ways, you're going to start doing good in other ways as well. 
this passage we've been talking about, chapter 5, chapter 6, it's all about building habits, isn't it? Keeping in step with the Spirit is about habits, putting one foot in front of the other, steady steps in the right direction. Because if we do the opposite, keep doing the wrong thing, if we keep acting out the deeds of the flesh, we're never going to change. But if in small, steady ways we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, we'll be changed. And this is how the section finishes. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Uh, If you plant ginger, odds are ginger's going to grow. You're not going to get macadamias if you plant ginger. If you keep speaking gossip... If you dwell on things that make you angry, if you keep visiting websites that normalise sexual immorality, guess what's going to grow? You are going to harvest what you plant. Not only will you keep doing the same things, you're building those habits, you're also going to get the consequences. If you are an angry person, it's amazing how many angry people seem to be around you. If you're greedy and cheat your customers, don't be surprised if your business partners do the same to you. So do the flesh reap destruction in this life and into eternity. That's the warning. But if you sow to the Spirit, if you grow in the habits of kindness and self-control... If you're part of a church where people will gently restore you when you sin... And at times, you're going to be on the other side, aren't you, helping others? If you're part of a church where we all know that we are needy and we are needed, then you'll reap a harvest at the proper time. Life will not always be easy following Jesus. But you will enjoy the blessings of knowing God now and into eternity. But it's not easy. Uh, we, uh, we're surrounded by a world of temptation. The struggle of fleshly nature is at odds with God's spirit dwelling within us. Uh, we live with the attacks of the evil one. It can be wearying doing good, which is why God has given us each other. There is no promise in the Bible that you'll grow as a Christian, that you'll change and keep in step with the Spirit. There's no promise you'll keep pushing on at doing good apart from the support and fellowship of fellow believers, apart from thick and real membership in a local church. And so we keep pushing on. We keep encouraging each other. We keep gently restoring the person who is caught in sin. Verse 10 is a great summary Keeping in step with the Spirit means as the opportunity arises, we do good to all and especially the family of believers. What seems to come naturally to most people is doing good to those who are closest to them. Most people do good to their family, their flesh and blood, and that might extend to people of their tribe, people who are like them. 
It seems most people are naturally inclined to focus their doing good for family and friends. But knowing Jesus changes this. It changes our relationships. If you're in Christ, family is the family of believers. This starts at a, at a church level here. But this is where things start feeling really different. If you're a believer, you have more in common, you have a, a deeper connection with a Christian in Iran or a believer in Vietnam, a deeper spiritual connection with them than you have with your next door neighbour who might speak the same language as you, or even your own flesh and blood who doesn't know Jesus. The new natural affinity group is fellow believers. No matter their, their language that they speak or where they live, there is a unity in Christ Jesus that transcends ethnicity. And so... As we do good to all, it's not wrong to give to things like Pres Aid at Christmas rather than a local charity. Look, as you've got opportunity, do both. But it's not wrong to be more attuned to the deep needs of fellow believers on the other side of the world. One of the places this really hits the ground, sometimes it's very good to feel this pull towards Christians on the other side of the world, for example, in some countries where Christians face persecution and social persecution, when a disaster strikes, Christians are often at the end of the line to receive aid, if there's anything left. If there's an earthquake in a Muslim-majority country or floods in a Hindu-majority country, sometimes Christians are the last to receive help. And there's a great organisation called the Barnabas Fund. Uh, One of the things they do is try to get help to Christians in those sorts of situations, helping believers like us to do good, especially to the family of believers. But this needs to be heard really clearly. The especially in verse 10 is inclusive. Where to do good to all. Jesus commands us to love our enemies. And so we do good to those who are neutral towards Christians and those who are hostile. And so it's good to give to the Barnabas Fund and to the UN High Commission for Refugees. Or when floods come to Gympie, you help out brothers and sisters from church in need and other Christians from other churches and your neighbour who doesn't know Jesus. You do good to all, especially the family of believers. And how do we do this without becoming weary in doing good? We do it together. We notice this in verse 1. The you is plural. This is God's people, God's church working together. We bear one another's burdens. Don't do it alone. Which is why God structures his church with elders and deacons, we use the term managers or ministry leaders, as a way of organising the whole church to support each other doing good. Now sometimes you, you might see a need and just get in and help. And when the need is small or easy, just get in and help. But many things aren't easy and aren't small. And the kind of help someone will need is ongoing. Ongoing. 
to not partner with the rest of the church, and that means bringing it to the attention of the elders or managers, to not do this is foolish or maybe even selfish. Maybe you don't want help from others because you want to think you're something special. You want to boast, but in the wrong way. God has given us one another. He's done this so we can love and care for one another. And also so together we can do better than don't be evil, but we can do good to all, especially the family of believers. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for pouring out your spirit and filling all those who trust in Jesus. We praise you that by faith we have been crucified with Christ and now Christ lives in all who trust in him. Please be working in us, empower us to put our sinful nature to death and keep in step with the spirit. May we do this as we do good to all, especially the family of believers. Help us be a church where we gently restore each other as we are caught in sin. Make us humble and self-aware. May we love one another in this way. Help us be a church that shares good things with those who teach us and grow us in Christ. And may we shine for Jesus as we do good to all, especially the family of believers. Amen.